0: Just to set the context, we're carrying on this morning with our theme of sustainability. It's a great joy to have Andy Atkins, who's the chief executive of Our Russia. He and Jane will be helping us understand what the organisation does a bit later on, and Andy will be preaching. I want to start with some verses from the book of Job, where Job has been asking God all sorts of questions. Why has my life gone like this? And at the end, there are several chapters where God speaks to Job about the wonders of creation and just a few verses to to set the tone of our service. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. I'm going to invite Jane to come and to interview Andy. We're really pleased to have Andy with us, and uh, he's going to be, as you know, speaking to us a little bit later in the service. But I just wanted to take the opportunity to get to know him a little bit um, and ask him a few questions. So, yeah, it would be great if you could start just by telling us a bit about yourself and your family, where you've travelled from this morning.
1: Well, I've, I've come very locally. I live in Surrey as well, I'm, I'm by about 500 yards. I'm 500 yards south of London, technically, in Hinchley Wood, if that means uh, anything to anybody here. Um, so only a short drive. Um, I'm married to Sarah? who actually uh, was at law school here in Guildford, um, but after 30 years uh, being a lawyer, she's now delighted to stop being that, and is training for the ordination, actually, in the uh, Anglican Church. And we have three young adult kids, um, one still at university, two working, and one of those is also ordained. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I come from a long line of vicars and also nuns, actually, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm the one who got away, but very Christian, just serving God in a different way. <laughs>
0: How did you come to do what you were doing
1: now? Wow. Well, my, my, uh, you know, I could tell you the studies I did. and I did yeah. geography and development studies and, 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 and so on. But actually, it probably goes back a lot longer than that. My parents were actually missionaries. Um, so my earliest memories were of tropical island in the Pacific, uh, actually Australian territory between Papua New Guinea and North Australia. And I think I just grew up in the most amazing environment, but with a lot of social injustice, a lot of racism, a lot of poverty, actually. Um, and my parents would not have called themselves campaigners or political or anything like that but just as good local pastors they were caring for their flock and they used to get very cross at the way people were treated Um, so I just kind of grew up in an environment where it was normal to stand up for injustice um, but also very much appreciating or thinking it was normal to have all this wildlife around me then we came back to Britain (laughs) <laughs> um, and we went from Worcestershire, which was lovely in retrospect, to the east end of London, which was grim. And I, I, I think it just kind of formed me to care passionately about social justice, but also about having a good, healthy environment. And I went on from that to work with a series of development uh, charities, CAFOD, the Catholic Relief and Development Agency, Fund, the big evangelical uh, relief and development agency, and while I was there, I got very involved in setting up what became Make Poverty History. For those of you who go back to as far as 2005, so I was very involved in that. And then also saw the impact of climate change on the development work that Tear Fund was doing, which led me into getting more and more involved in trying to do something about climate change and got me noticed by the Green Movement. So I went on from there to be head of Friends of the Earth for seven years, uh, very much campaigning around the Climate Change Act and so on, uh, renewable energy and things like that. Um, and then from there felt God saying calling me back to the Christian fold I and mean, I never stopped being a Christian but I've been by that time heading up a big national secular uh, campaigning organisation um, and feeling there was a real job to be done mobilising Christians and the churches around what our faith says we believe uh, and the Anglican Church committed to 30 years ago as a core aspect of our faith you probably didn't know that I didn't know that either until recently um, but yet we don't express in our day-to-day life commonly. So that brought me to Arosha, uh, a much, much smaller, as many of you all know, almost unknown organisation, um, but as a place where I think it's the right place to be right now to help churches and Christians get going.
0: Could you tell us a bit more about Arosha, about the team, that you're the CEO of
1: I'm, I'm CEO of, um, I'm never quite sure how many people we've got because okay. um, it doesn't sound good that, does it but we, we have so many great volunteers and to start with I wasn't sure who was actually volunteer and who was paid staff. It's a very small organisation with some great people. Um, technically I think I have about um, 10 staff but that reduces down to about 7 full-time equivalent I and mean, lots of part-timers uh, and then lots of core cool volunteers as well. The name, um, it probably needs explaining, it's actually Portuguese for The Rock the origin of that is that the founders of Arosha um, were an Anglican minister and his wife, who were passionate about birdwatching, actually, went out to Portugal in the 80s um, for a holiday and realised that a brilliant area for bird migration of the Algarve coast was about to be concreted over for a tourist development. And they set up a campaign to stop that happening, and a study centre to help Christians get on board with conservation. And they named the organisation after, I think, a local rock, hence the Arosha, the rock, you know, it's now an 18-country uh, network yeah. of Christians doing work on conservation and the environment, and I head up the UK bit. But the name stuck, and we have this, always have this debate. Is this a good name or a bad name? It's, it's certainly a conversation starter <laughs> as to why on earth you call that.
0: Uh, Arusha so started the Eco Church.
1: So Arusha started Eco Church. So what we do now in Arusha UK is, is three things, really, three or four. Uh, I've reset the focus of the organisation to, to really concentrate on helping us as Christians, work on the environment. And we do that in three ways. There's the Eco Church program, which we launched a year ago, to help churches get on board with doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Fascinating to hear some of the things you've been doing this week, uh, which I think, as you and I were discussing, probably already gets you close to a bronze award oh, anyway. So. Um, <laughs> and I'd certainly encourage you here to, to join the, 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 the Eco Church scheme. Then we have something called Partners in Action, which is for mm-hmm. Christian land managers. It might amaze you to know, but there are large numbers of Christians managing land in this country, whether they are farmers, or whether they are Christian conference and retreat centres. And those by definition, particularly the latter, have lots of Christians going through them. So if you can persuade them to manage their land for nature, but also to help their clients, their their visitors, to understand what's going on, then again, we can really help many more people get on board. Mm -hmm. And then we're launching a programme for individuals and families to help people do the right thing in their own home, in their own garden, in their own street
0: just lastly before I let you have a break before the, the talk what is it you most love about what you do, what do
1: oh you wow I, I guess it's the chance to do something practical and, and positive about something I really care about and I'm sure that the same applies to all of us you know there, there'll be things we're passionate about and it's great when you can do something about them uh, I've told you my background so I think for me um, it's kind of a bit of heaven on earth to be able to get up every day and do something about nature uh, a healthy environment but also in a way that benefits people so our our office is in Southall. It's a pretty grim part of West London. A lot of poverty. It's one of the worst health indices, um, public health indices in, in Britain for um, you know, common diseases and so on. You'd be amazed what diseases are there. Um, and yet, we see in our urban reserve school kids, disabled people, um, people of all faiths coming down there to just enjoy some peace and some safety. Um, and get some exercise, which is really, really important for health. So I, I love being able to do something that actually helps both people and nature. Great.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been great to get to, get to know you a little bit, and um, we we'll look forward to hearing from yeah. you later. Thank you.
2: Our reading is taken from Psalm 104, verses 10 to 24. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labour until evening. How many are your works, Lord! In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks for having me. And let me say already, I'm so impressed to hear of some of the things you've been doing. It's really exciting. And as I drove down this morning, I thought, that's a really lovely area. And uh, I'm amazed I haven't made it out this far on my bicycle, actually, so far. Uh, I do a lot of cycling around this area, and I'd love to come down again and see what you're up to. It's uh, fantastic. Anyway, can I ask you to put your hands up if you ever admired a breathtaking sunset, or sniffed a flower, or thought, what a lovely little robin when it comes and sits on the spade when you're digging, or in other way admired nature. Put your hands up if you've ever done any of those things. And just about everybody, if not everybody. There might be some hiding, but um, yeah. So that's not surprising, actually, I think. Um, we all know that we're like that. It's a very, very natural thing to do. And modern science is now showing that we are actually wired as human beings to appreciate nature. So we might have thought, well, that's just normal, but actually they're now digging into our heads to find out what's actually going on. And they've discovered there's a part of our brain that really relaxes when it's exposed to nature. It's like a muscle that gets tired from making decisions, actually. It's the part of our mind that makes decisions is really relaxed and refreshed by being exposed to nature. So it turns out that actually we need contact with nature for our own well-being as humans. Um, And I would say that that shouldn't really be surprising when you think that We are created, in whatever form you believe that happened, but we are created by God, who also created the rest of nature. Why would it not work together like that? So what I want to look at this morning is, what has the Bible got to say about nature? What does God think about nature? And then explore what that means for us today as Christians. So, let's start at the very beginning. That's not... uh, Well, there is part of Mary. Is it Mary Poppins or is it the sound of music? I can't remember. Um, Anyway, let's start at the beginning of the Bible. Um, Right at the beginning of the Bible, in the creation story of Genesis, we read of God bringing the different forms of life into being. For example, chapter 1, verse 20, God says, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And I think the key point of that story, right at the start of the Bible, is that we have a creator God who made life in abundance and in extraordinary diversity. We already had other readings this morning from Psalms, from Job, that actually say the same thing. And this is reinforced then throughout the Bible, isn't it? Um, in the prophet Isaiah we read, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. In Psalm 24 we read, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so on, throughout the Bible, actually, we have it reinforced, if we care to read it, and I'll come back to that, that God created this. So, that's the starting point. God created it. That should be enough to make us want to do something about it. But I think secondly, and most importantly, it's clear that God not only created it, but actually he loves it. Again, back in Genesis, Chapter 1, verse 31. After God brought all these things into being, it says God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. So it's okay if we trash it then, is it? No, it can't be, can it? It can't be okay if God created this for us to treat it badly. God is not emotionally neutral about what he created. He loves it. He thinks it's great. And I would say that love is not just... An emotion, a fond feeling, it's, it's a very proactive, practical love. As we heard in Psalm 104, one of my favourites. And I, I, I was lobbying at the UN one day, believe it or not, and was um, opening my Bible to read before going in. i have never seen it before. I thought, my goodness, why has no vicar, sorry not to pick on vicars, why has no vicar ever read this psalm to me in church? I've never ever noticed this, but it's absolutely incredible. So, and you see in that psalm and you see in many other places how God is catering for all of nature, not just for humans, and actually we're very intertwined. We need each other. And that speaks of another very important truth that only now is modern science, if you like, rediscovering, and that we rather lost in the last centuries, that as humans we are entirely dependent for our life and our long-term survival. As a species on the bounty of nature and natural processes. Without regular rainfall, without good soil, insects that pollinate our food crops, a benign climate that allows us to grow agriculture in most of the world. We cannot survive. We literally cannot survive. Air pollution is becoming a a big thing in the news at the moment. We can't go more than a few minutes without breathable air. Yet actually, we are so polluting the air in many parts of this country and the world that literally people are dying. So I just give those as examples of how the bounty of nature allows us to survive. If we damage that, we have real problems. So clearly then, God intended his creation to work together. He intended humans to be stewards, not just to abuse the rest of nature. And when we do the latter, when we abuse nature, it's not only bad for nature we're now realising it's terribly bad for us as well. Now, we have to acknowledge that over the centuries, um, much of the Christian church has really underplayed this. As I ask myself, why has no vicar ever read me Psalm 104 before? Or why have I not heard that in church? You may well be asking yourself, if this is such an important message about God's caring for creation and we as humans needing to care for it too, why do we not hear that More often. Really, really good question, I would say. I think throughout the Christian church, throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been leaders and Christians who have understood um, that we need to care for nature. Uh, But I think we've also had periods where the church has completely ignored something very, very fundamental. Let me give you another example. Go back 200 years, it was entirely normal for churches and Christian leaders to think that slavery was fine. Absolutely fine. If you read the history books, it was a small group of Christians around William Wilberforce who thought it's absolutely not fine. We are completely misreading the Bible here. We're ignoring something absolutely fundamental. And they had to shake up the church before they could shake up society and actually change attitudes towards slavery, which we now look back on and think, how can they ever have thought that was okay? But they did. Somehow the church lost the plot on something absolutely fundamental. And I believe it's exactly the same with the environment, with care for nature. We have somehow managed to forget and ignore some pretty fundamental stuff in the Bible. That God created it, God cares for it, that we are ultimately, utterly dependent upon it. And we need to care for it. Now the good news is, I think there is a reawakening. People like the Archbishop of Canterbury, a very focused guy, actually an ex-oil executive, has really woken up to climate change and and is saying now he must play more of a leadership role in that. Pope Francis, I don't know how much you're aware, but two years ago released a papal encyclical, a letter to the church called Laudato Se. It means praise be, praise be for God's creation. He has come out really strongly on the need for action, not just on climate change, but on nature more generally. And I was delighted in a visit to uh, Georgia in the Caucasus, not Georgia in the United States, uh, Georgia in the Caucasus, central, southern Europe, um, a couple of years ago, to find that the orthodox, um, uh, what's he called, the patriarch, the head of the orthodox church there, is an ardent advocate of of action on the environment. So the good news is, if you are waking up to the Christian responsibility um, for the environment, or if you're beginning to think, yes, maybe there's more here, then you are in very good company, God is on your side, the Archbishop is on your side, the Pope is on your side, and the odd Patriarch. So that ought to give us confidence, shouldn't it? That actually there is something here for us to look into. So, what should our response be? I'd really encourage you to... I've just given you smatterings of Bible verses and so on. I'd really encourage you to go back to your Bibles and look up some of these things. You'd be amazed what is actually there. And you will start to ask yourself why do we not hear more about this? I I shouldn't pick on this vicar. Obviously you've got a great vicar and you are hearing about these things. Um, There's also some books at the back which can give you a lot more uh, evidence for how strong this is in the Bible if if you're interested. But let's talk about our response now. And I would say there are really three things that come across to me as I read the Bible about how we should respond to God's creation. Um, And the first, and I really like this one, is I think we should enjoy it more. So when do you ever hear that? When do you ever get somebody stand up in church and tell you to go and enjoy yourself? Um, may this be a first, but not the last. God loves nature, and I believe invites us to enjoy it too. Now if you're an avid bird watcher like I am, or you're a rambler or a gardener, for example, you won't need telling to go out and enjoy nature, and I'm one of those. But even then, how often do we stop to actually not just enjoy it, but to praise God, for what he has created. And I you know, accuse myself here, I, I can love this stuff, and I do, but it's very rare that I actually stop and go, thank you for that bird, God, it's fantastic, and really brightened my day. Um, I had experience last week of standing watching a bird feeder and really enjoying the um, variety of birds when a sparrowhawk came out of nowhere and shredded one of the chaffinches. <laughs> uh, and I was with other friends, Christian friends, who thought, okay, what's the right response to that? <laughs> um, yeah, okay, that's a deeper question. Let's talk about that later. Now, it's worth noting, for those of us who live in Surrey, that we are in the most uh, wooded county in all of England. So I'm not surprised you say there's the, the, uh, the, the Surrey Wildlife Trust says it's a rich area. We are in the most wooded county in Britain. We have huge opportunities to see nature if we want. But I think there's more than just enjoying nature. Actually, if you look at uh, what St. Paul says, he points to nature as evidence that God exists and he uses it as a reprimand for others who deny God's existence. Listen to this in his letter to the Romans. He says, For since creation of the world, the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that people are without excuse complicated passage, but what he's actually saying to non-believers who are claiming that they see no evidence of God, is that the evidence is all around them, in nature. They can't possibly say God does not exist, when they look at these things. Now, the point there, for us, as Christians, is that not only should we be, I think, enjoying nature, but we should allow our enjoyment of nature to point us back to God, to make us desire to be more obedient to God in other aspects of our life as well as we see the incredible gift he has given us and what we are part of in nature. So yes, let's enjoy it, but let it steer us back to God as well. The second thing then, I think, is an aspect of loving nature is to nurture it. Let me explain it another way. If you love somebody, you want to spend time with them, you want to enjoy them, that's what we do. But imagine your children, or your spouse, or a friend that you love. You really want to see them develop. You want to see them be the best that they can be. You want to nurture them. And I think that's absolutely right. And that's also what I think we are called to do for nature, particularly now. So whether that means, for example, caring for nature in your surroundings, as you are looking at here in this church, whether it means doing the best you can in your garden, for the birds that are there, whether it means joining an uh, an organisation that is, if you like, campaigning for developing and restoring nature in other parts of the world, or whether it means taking action on climate change. All of those are aspects of nurturing, trying to restore nature and make it as good as it can be. And I think we are absolutely called to do that, and more than called, if we, people who apparently get this, don't take action on some of these issues, We are leaving an awful inheritance to those who come after us. So it's a matter of justice now, not just a matter of obedience, that we do act on those things. Now, I mentioned earlier the eco-church program, and uh, I have already said and and noted what you are doing here in this church. That's fantastic. But we are really encouraging churches across the country to join up in something called eco-church, We launched it a year ago. We now have more than 500 churches have registered. It's free at the point of delivery. Yes, we're a charity. We accept donations to run it, but it's free. Um, And it provides a whole series of resources to allow you as a church and to encourage you as a church to, for example, manage your land better for nature, manage your buildings better for for the environment, for climate, and so on. So you'd be in great company if you wanted to register for that. We have churches, including St Paul's Cathedral, um, York Minster who incidentally are in competition to get the next award um, one of them has already invited me to go and speak because they think they're going to get there ahead of the other um, so w- w- we've got a free market in awards going here um, but seriously th- this is a scheme that is really taking off nationwide to help churches nurture nature to make the right response to climate change where they are and I'd really encourage you to join that a last aspect perhaps it's quite challenging one. this um, of loving. Again, think of when you love somebody. If they are under threat, what do you do? You defend them. You protect them. You try to stand up for them, don't you? And I think never before have we needed Christians to stand up for the environment. I go back to my days at Tearfund when I was sitting with a bunch of Tuareg tribesmen in Niger. Their crops had failed yet again. Um, they were talking to me about having to Uh, roam further and further afield to look for water because something had happened to the weather. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what was going on. But over the last 15, 20 years, the weather had gone completely haywire. Of course, we knew coming from the outside world with modern science and so on, they didn't know what was happening. What they said was a result, though, was their children were not getting education, their cattle were more often starving, um, and it was beginning to cause conflict with other tribes as they roamed further afield into other areas looking for land and water. Now, we're going to see that rip larger and larger if we do not address things like climate change. And likewise, if you take the case of Britain on nature, completely different subject, we are seeing, despite the fact that we live in a very rich area of nature here in Surrey, a very rapid decline in Britain's own species, with with a recent survey that we were part of showing that one in ten of the species we surveyed Are in danger of disappearing completely from our shores. Now, what kind of inheritance is that for our children and our grandchildren who come after us, even in leafy Surrey? So, I think there's a real need for us to actually defend nature if we say that we love it by taking action in our church, in our home, but also in our wider society. We all have a vote, we all can ask our politicians to stand up for nature. And that's going to be particularly important to give you one very concrete example that we're working on. Um, The European Union, and I'm not making a statement for or against Brexit here, just telling you the facts. European legislation has in some ways been terrible for the environment. Agricultural policies have been disastrous for rural environment. But the specific environmental legislation like techie term, birds' habitat, birds' directive and the habitats' directive are some of the best protection we have at the moment. What happens to those when we leave the EU. From our point of view, as Christian environmentalists, we would love the government to do something better for the rural environment than much of the agricultural policies have have done, but we really need them to preserve the other legislation that has come from the EU. They're already talking, Andrea Ledstrom is already talking about dismantling some of it, of not bringing it across into UK legislation. That could be a real disaster. So it's a very practical thing for us right now as a Christian conservation organisation, in asking our members, supporters, the wider churches, to ask their MPs to preserve the best of European environmental legislation as we go independent. very practical thing we can do as Christians to defend nature. Well, you get the idea. We, as Christians, feel and believe there is huge biblical evidence to say God created nature, he loves nature, he wants us to love it too. And what we're trying to do as a Rosha is simply to make that easier for people like you and me with busy daytime jobs to love nature practically in a way that will make a difference. So, I'll leave you with that invitation to enjoy nature, to really, really enjoy it, to praise God for it, to let nature point you back to God and greater obedience to God in the rest of your life. But also to take love for nature and love for God further by looking at what you can do to nurture nature where you are and to defend nature and natural processes like climate, a stable climate, good air quality, good water, all of which we ultimately rely on. Now, we can help you. That's what we're here for. Um, If you want to take this further, please take one of the leaflets you've uh, been given. Above all, please just sign up to our e-news. It's free. We will not ask you for loads of money. It's a way that we can give you ideas on a regular basis of things you can do. Um, There's a sheet at the back. If you want to just give us your email, we can keep you informed. But above all, I'll urge you as a church, with your leaders, to really consider how much more you can do as a congregation and, and as a beacon in your own community to demonstrate how people who love God manifest that by loving what he has created in very practical ways, because they love him and because they also love people, because ultimately we are so dependent as people on good nature. Thank you.